Welcome back to Empower the Audience. Uh, our shows keep getting longer, we keep getting stronger, and I'm think- all thanks to this buy juice stuff that I'm drinking, Costa Rica Clementine. That's not a commercial because don't, they don't pay me anything. I pay them. So, we are here to discuss a lot of stuff. We have, I'm going to actually push my clicker on my mouse to see my sticky notes, just in case you're wondering what the narration was. And we're going to, like, drop the bomb, because I'm going to let Chris talk about a show that I won't touch with a 10-foot pole, called Fuller House. Netflix's latest series, Fuller House. Yeah, Fuller House. Uh... Now, I thought other people were interested in seeing this, but... Everywhere I I go, everywhere I look, I'm not interested in this. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I started watching it, and I was interested, like, even way back when they first announced it, I was like, okay, I'd like to check that out. I grew up watching it uh, on ABC and stuff like that. And the reruns, but, uh, yeah, and then, like, they came out with, like, a full trailer, like, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, okay, this seems interesting with where they're going with it, they're gonna kinda do, like, a female version of the original show, but it's gonna be the girls from the original show now, daughters, yeah. uh, kind of running it, and I thought that was an interesting concept, uh, concept and everything, um, watched the first episode, and... I don't know. I don't... I knew the original show was kind of corny in a way, and I, I I remember, you know, it was cheesy, and it was all feel-good, and everything's always happy in the end, everyone hugs it out, and life moves on, no matter what the issue was of that episode. But this was so corny, and the lines, and the self-awareness that was happening in this episode... It was cringe-inducing. I was... And I I thought maybe it was just me. I just learned last night that a bunch of people are saying they hate it. So I I kind of feel better. But I I did think it was just me. I'm like, maybe I'm just too critical of it at this moment. I don't know. But as I watched it, I was just like, this is just so... It just wasn't funny. The jokes, everything. It was like, they're like, haha, remember that one joke we said like 100 years ago on the original series? We're going to say it again a hundred times, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I know Stamos is, like, producing it, but is mm-hmm. are any of the original producers... I think it's Jeff Franklin uh, is the guy's name, if I remember the name right. Maybe? Is he back on? I don't... I, I Like I said, I haven't watched it, and I, I didn't pay that close attention to it. Yeah, I don't know anyone that was on the original writing team or anything, but... Like, I remember... I watched it, too. I mean, I wasn't as young as you are, because I'm older than you are. And, I, and it was cute for a while. I mean, I can imagine being a kid, you know, you have that experience that's like... I Like I talked about recently in a conversation, before I knew what cheese was. You know, there's a lot of stuff I watched before I knew what cheesiness was. And mm-hmm. so you don't really have that kind of discernment as a kid to know if things mm-hmm. are good or bad. 
Um, you, especially when I grew up where there wasn't a lot of options. You know, you had the three channels. That's pretty much it. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was cute. And I think the, 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 certainly the twins... Um, I'm blanking on their names right now. Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen Olsen really drove that show. They helped that show a lot because what cute thing is she going to say this week was Mm. a big part of that show, I think. Not that there weren't other good characters, but that was a big part of it. I think that's why my family liked it because we, you know, it was a a cute thing. But, yeah, I knew that that stuff wasn't going to hold up. Uh, I'd seen, I'd probably seen very little of it since in reruns. But still, I knew it was definitely, like, of its time and works for kids. But I just don't think most discerning adults, and especially in this day and age of the glut of TV that there is, I mean, they're lucky that they're on Netflix. Because if they were on regular TV and having to be a slave to the ratings, I don't Mm. think that they would survive. But Netflix can, like, put on what it wants and not have to worry Mm. about who's watching it. To a point, but it, it will yeah. be interesting to see if they get a second season for sure. Because yeah. I mean, because yeah, that's the thing is like it doesn't really matter if a lot of people watch it or not. It's are people going to pay for this to get made? Really? Yeah, I mean, they are so. guarantee you, and Netflix is tracking numbers, but it's not. Yeah. It's not. There's not a systemic kind of setup like there is with regular uh, network television, mm-hmm. where they're like. You know they are so dependent on Nielsen ratings and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I would bring up my kind of counter show to that because I, as much as I, a lot of times am a cranky guy and am a nerdy guy. I am as sappy a guy as you'll ever find. Um, and I have been watching Girl Meets World on the Disney Channel, and I don't know if. Like I said, I don't know if Fuller House is made by the or anybody from the original production team of that, but this one is. This one show is made by the creators of Boy Meets World, and if you haven't heard anything about this or seen any previews, um, it's basically the next generation of that show. So it's Corey, the main character from Boy Meets World. He it's about his daughter, and. Uh, Maya. Sorry, I have blanked on her name for a second there. No, it's not Maya, is it? Oh, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I love this show, but I'm blanking on the name. Maya's the best friend. Um, but anyways, it's it's. I really like the show. I know some people uh, like the Disney show, Disney Channel shows. Uh, some people are annoyed by them. This is, um, I think, there's part of the show that is influenced by the channel that it's on, but not to the extent where there's really no substance to it. It is a little, probably a little bit more frenetic than the uh, than the ABC, I believe it was ABC show was, but it's still got a lot of heart and substance. And um, the thing I like about the main character, Riley. Who, Riley, thank you, my wife just who doesn't watch the show just came from. Riley, uh, who's Corey's uh, daughter, is she's a dreamer kind of character. She's she's actually smarter than her dad was in school because she's got her mom's genes, the, the Tabanga genes. Um, Corey is the, her teacher in this, so he took over the Mister Feeney role basically, where he's their homeroom teacher. And she, uh, there are some similarities though. She's 
uh, her best friend is Maya. That's the Maya that I was thinking of. And she's kind of like a little bit on the rougher side of um, life, kind of like Sean Hunter was. And uh, they, in this case, instead of living in the suburbs like they did on the show, they live in Brooklyn, I believe. Mm. They live actually in um, New York City. I think they lived in Philly in the other. I think they were kind of in the suburban Philadelphia or something like that. Mm. But here they live in Manhattan. So that's a big Mm. part of the show, too, is um, kids growing up in the city and stuff. Mm. And I was telling Chris, I think last night, another distinct thing is there were certain things about the first show that was of its time. The concept of there being a buddy show where you had Corey and Hunt and Sean Hunter just being the buddies going through was kind of like mm-hmm. a holdover from the 80s buddy cop movies and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, this one is of this time. And with millennials, you're going to find they group up more than they just have the one best friend so this show is actually about a group of friends where there's the two girls and there's also like three guys that are a core group of friends and the concept of friendship is what's brought up more and more than just these having the one other buddy um there are definitely uh other echoes i don't want to really spoil a whole whole lot of it but there are other echoes and other connections to the past um a lot of uh characters come back uh Yes, most of the main characters at this point, I think I'm in either the second or the third season, most of the main characters have actually come back. Um, My favorite so far, and I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler, is when the older brother comes back. Will Friedel, his character from the first show, he's just completely insane and so much fun. It makes sense that he had has started a voiceover career just from like kind of energy you see him having on the original show so his i mean to see you ain't seen nothing yet if you thought you you know you've seen everything that that character of eric could do he's uh he's he's the i guess the one spoiler i'll tell you his i won't tell you what happens but his entrance into the show is pretty amazing um so i would say avoid fuller house Check out Girl Meets World. I believe it's on Netflix right now. Um, I've seen it on... I Pretty much I've seen it on there. Get caught up if you want. Give it a shot. Know that, like I said, it's going to be a little bit more... Um, it's I think it's sillier, sillier show a little bit than, than the other one. And it's very quick. The jokes can just go like... Almost like old Hollywood style. You know, they really... Um, uh, but I think it's just it just I mean they go there like I'll give you one example of Maya uh, one, of, one of their friends is from Texas and he, tra- he transferred to school in New York from Texas and and Maya doesn't ever let him get away with the fact that he's from Texas and her big thing to do is get up in his face and go ha like that's her thing mm-hmm. like that's the way she denigrates him and so it's just really silly really over the top um but a lot of fun and a lot of heart uh the last episode i saw was about kind of like they're going into um uh, high school and kind of like dealing with the crossroads at the time and actual uh ben savage directed that episode and man if you could stay tear free during that episode you're a stronger man than i am because that was pretty awesome the way they handle that so 
definitely check out Grimmate's World. Um, I'm going to go and I do this from time to time. I talk about music on the show. Uh, uh, it's because it's kind of hard to find good music nowadays. Um, like I always say, music that doesn't sound like it comes out of a Miami club. But um, I talked about Kendrick Lamar, I think a couple weeks ago, and how, to me, he's kind of given hope to this generation of hip-hop, I think. He's, it makes you realize that it's not all about money that you got or girls that you got. There's actually a lot of thought put into it. And uh, the other artist that's like that, I would say, that's a newer artist is Macklemore. His new album uh, just came out, and it's phenomenal from what I've heard of so far. It's called... Sorry, let me find it. This Unruly Mess I've Made. And uh, I don't know if you heard the single White Privilege that came out. It was released on iTunes for like free recently. Um, I downloaded that and checked it out and that one was like, whoa, because he's just so hard hitting on the culture nowadays. Um, the kind of internet, the downsides of the internet culture and it's just, it's speaking like volumes. It's really, really good stuff. So definitely check out him. And this is kind of an odd choice, but... I had heard Willie Nelson sing some old uh, standard from like the 30s and 40s. Um, if you only know passing of Willie Nelson is, like if you know that he's known for weed or playing Uncle Jesse on the Deuce of Hazard, um, he's a obviously a, a talented country artist, has been for years. A lot of people don't know that he wrote the song Crazy for Patsy Cline. Um, he, he, that he actually wrote that song um, so he's a very talented guy but um, lately he's been doing a lot of interesting out of his field projects he did a couple of albums with uh, Wynton Marsalis the jazz uh, artist and uh, one uh, they did like a follow up it was like him and jo Nora Jones and Wynton Marsalis so um, dude, he, it's cool that he's kind of breaking up the genre and this latest one he does uh, it's called Summertime and it's Willie Nelson sings George Gershwin and I don't know if I've talked about it a lot but that's my favorite kind of music that kind of um, Sinatra Ella Fitzgerald those kind of things and so I've so ever since I've heard him sing that style I was really excited to see that this album just came out um, he's really great with it um, a lot of good stuff uh, What one cool thing that I liked about it is he's from Texas and um, so that it still sounded very organic, he does a lot of Texas swing on this. And if you're not familiar, that there's actually a thing called Texas swing. There is. It's uh, it's basically imagined kind of a countrified uh, version of uh, swing music, and um, that's what this is. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, definitely check it out if that seems to fit inside of your your genre box. Um, we have been watching. For years now, Marvel's expanded TV universe, and I just wanted to touch base on what I think is the most fun you could have in that universe, and it's Agent Carter. Chris, you hadn't watched you watched a couple episodes before this season mm -hmm. um, of the very first season, so you were kind of new new to it. Um, We've loved it. I just think that it's it's a romp is like the best way to say it. It's just yeah. really just there's no um, 
I like Shield a lot, but there's a lot of procedural stuff in Shield. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really uh, universal story building, mm -hmm. and it's also very much a slave in some terms to the cinematic universe where it has to kind of like Mentally. take on what happens that's that's actually cool can be cool but uh up until this last season of shield uh, it really didn't grab me grab me um but agent carter was fun out the gate i thought what do you yeah um this whole season so far has been really good uh, i liked everything that's happening it's funny and uh, the adventure so far, the storyline for the seasons, r really cool, and um, and there's a lot of things happening that's uh, you know very interesting, and I like the universe that they're they have Agent Carter in, is that it's like the early stages of Shield, so they're kind of able to stay within the realm of obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but kind of do their own thing kind of like how you were saying with agents of shield they kind of uh they usually are having to tie it in some way with whatever new movie is coming out yeah so i'm sure when shield comes back we're gonna see some stuff leading up to civil war right yeah, yeah. um whereas this it's you know back in the 50s so they can kind of do whatever they want they're not kind of restrained right. with that and to that point what you're saying like there is no shield yet in yeah. this universe the government agency that she works for is called the SSR. So it's a post-war mm -hmm. kind of CIA-ish kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, so that's something we have to look forward to is her establishing um, the uh, the shield. Um, what, what I, one of the things I love about it most is uh, if you ever get a chance to see, to follow... Um, I'm going to blank on her name. What's her name? Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell, who mm -hmm. plays Agent Carter. Find... Find her on social media. If you can find out the dub smash war between Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from a couple of Comic-Cons ago, oh my good lord, was it funny. It was so good. And what you get from that, too, is if you can see anything away, she, the, she and the guy that plays Jarvis are so buddies off screen that I think it really informs the show their performances on the show um, now when I say Jarvis if you haven't seen Agent Carter you know the name Jarvis from the Avengers movies from the Iron Man movie that's um, that's that voice of the guy and if you've seen Ultron you know the, the vision tie into that um, in the comic books Jarvis was uh, an actual person he was a butler um, they wisely, I think, steered away from that because, let's face it, Tony Stark is kind of the Batman of the uh, Marvel Universe. He's the rich guy. You know, he does the superhero thing, uh, but with aids of technology. So um, instead of having a, a thing where they're like, oh, that's his Alfred, and they decided that, well, duh, he's a technology guy. Why wouldn't he just have... A robot assistant you know and so that's why they went that way mm. well what they did is with this one since howard stark is a part of this show they went and said well let's give him the real person jarvis and that guy that plays him is great um i don't actually have my phone on me but i'd like to look up look up the actor that plays him because he was in um master commander uh if you ever saw that great russell crowe movie peter weir directed it um 
Paul Bettany, who did the voice of Jarvis. That's funny. That's the Jarvis Nexus, that movie, because it's got, like, the guy that plays the Jarvis from, uh, you know, from Agent Carter and also the voice of Jarvis from the movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's he's great. Haley Atwell's great. James uh, Darcy. James Darcy. There you go. A great actor. Look mm-hmm. him up. See what else. I haven't seen what else he's in besides that. I'm sure he's got, got quite a few things that he was good in. Um, but uh, it isn't set in the 50s like he said. But the, the fun thing about this season that we didn't talk about that ties into what we like is it's, this season is actually set in Hollywood. Yeah. So to see the old Hollywood uh, side of things is fun for us too because mm-hmm. we like that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely check out Agent Carter. Um, it's it's too much fun. Uh, now, uh, with the superhero TV thing, uh, I checked out the pilot for Legends of Tomorrow. And uh, it's a DC show. I've actually been holding off on a lot of the DC shows just for lack of time. Uh, I watched a little bit at the beginning of Arrow. Uh, probably watched the first season of Arrow. But I just haven't had a whole lot of time to invest into everything nerdy on television because right now there's too much. So, but I just as on a whim checked out the pilot of Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow is the first team up show, and actually in this case DC beat uh, Marvel to having a, a hero team up show. But this is an interesting concept because what they did, I think they set up a really good way to keep this uh story around for a while because it's a time travel story so they have a character that's this older dc character named rip hunter who's a time master not unlike a time lord in other shows we watch mm. this one actually played by a former companion of doctor who uh-huh. um the guy that plays rory from the um from the amy and rory pond stuff and uh in doctor who and he assembles a team, and it's great. I love the the, the quote. He, he assembles people that have no consequence on the future. That's basically the way he sets this up. Like, yeah, you, you're you're fine. You don't affect the future much. But the team is as follows. See if I can remember everybody. It's um, it's Hawkman, Hawk Girl. It's Firestorm, which is actually two characters that kind of fuse into one. Um. It is the Atom, who is their answer to Ant-Man. Um, I don't know which one came first. Uh, but uh, that one's played by Brandon Routh, who played Superman in Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you watched Prison Break, the two main characters from Prison Break, the brothers, are playing Captain Cold and I believe it's Firestarter. And, that, and they're actually villains, so that kind of makes it an interesting mix uh, and that they have a couple of villains in the in the group, and so they just they are uh, their whole purpose is to travel to try to stop this guy uh, who's a big bad in the DC universe, Vandal Savage. And so the great thing about this is is it's got time travel, so every episode could be a different t- time. And I've already heard that they are going into the the West. Of the 1800s, and Jonah Hex is actually going to be in that episode, which will be interesting to see because that Jonah Hex movie failed terribly, and um, so them to actually see a decent version of Jonah Hex will be will be cool. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, if you like time travel, uh, 
If you like team up shows, uh, definitely check this out. It's it's really fun. It's kind of what they call high concept, uh, but if you can roll with it, it's a lot of fun. Oh, I forgot one character, White Canary. White Canary is a character from Arrow, uh, related to the Black Canary thing. Um, if you haven't seen Arrow, all I heard is there's some Lazarus Pit action that happened with their character. Do you know Lazarus Pits? No. Okay, Lazarus Pits is how um, Rachel Ghoul has lived as long as he's lived. Mm-hmm. There are these pits, and in, in, it's very similar to like the. He, they're they're equated with uh, apocalypse in that he can regenerate. So, but these Lazarus pits are actual natural pits that he, if he's on the verge of death, can go into the pit almost like a baptism and come out reborn. Huh, that's cool. That's how he. Yeah. So when you, in like Batman Begins, where he hints at the fact that we have been around since the time of Rome and all that stuff, mm. he's actually talking about himself. He actually was there. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah. Okay. So, huh. um, so that's what that is. So uh, okay. So moving on, I we both thought we might have talked about this movie, but we didn't really. So we're gonna have two takes on a Coen Brothers movie um, called Hail Caesar. Are you sure we didn't talk about this last time? Pretty sure. Okay, it's hard because we talk about these movies all the time. Uh, so if this is a re- repeat for you, go get some coffee or go to the bathroom or something, whatever. Just uh, leave your podcast for a second. Um, we want to talk about Hail Caesar. Um, Hail Caesar is a, a, the latest Coen Brothers movie. Definitely like high antics comedy about the uh, the movie industry in the 50s. Um, it's about the production of a movie called Hail Caesar. Uh, a biblical epic, actually. Um, uh, similar to probably the robe or something of that, of that that time. In fact, there's a scene that is that they're working on in the show that I've actually seen in a movie. I don't know if it was the robe or another movie. Um, so they did this thing where they have these characters and, like I say, storylines in movies that are similar to uh, the, uh, there's like one to one comparison so um, uh, there's Esther Williams was this um, aquatic uh, ballet. ballet person mm. and I've, I'm, I'm now I'm getting really sure that we talked about this before <laughs> okay I mean we've talked back and forth about it yeah a lot so but, okay yeah but anyways, so let's just do it, and if we talked about it before, I'll edit it out. Um, uh, there's a character that's kind of like this character, Audie Murphy, uh, who's a Western star, um, really kind of innocent kind of guy. Uh, Channing Tatum plays like a big song and dance man kind of thing. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily Gene Kelly, but in that vein, not of person, but the type of movies he would make. Um, so, and then my, my favorite, one of my favorite characters in it is the fact that Tilda Swinton plays twin sister reporters. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a fun thing. I really enjoyed. Um, Josh Brolin, the thing you have to know is Josh Brolin's the main character in this movie. George Clooney isn't. Even as much as you see that in the trailers, it seems like George Clooney's the main character. He's not. Um, Josh Brolin is the manager 
uh, it seems like a lot studio manager or something like that yeah. of the uh, of thing, which means he kind of has to fix all of these problems because he's dealing with all these creative types and pressures in the industry and and public perception is a big problem too. And uh, um, so, uh, yeah, I really liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's super silly, uh, but I enjoyed it and. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was weird when I walked out of it the first time. Well, the only time, but uh, yeah. Initially, I was kind of like, I don't know what I just saw. It just there was so much happening, and it it felt at the time it felt like it just really didn't make sense to me. There were so many different things happening, different characters coming and going that. I was just like, what? I thought this was about a kidnapping and all these movie stars were going to come out and try to rescue this guy. And that's not what it was. Like, nobody even knew George Clooney's character really got kidnapped except for the studio guy, uh, Josh Brolin's character. But, uh, yeah, I mean, after kind of, you know, thinking back at it and other people kind of, you know, giving their input on it and yeah, we wanted to listen to you know, what. Mark Maron's review on it. Yeah. That was that was what kind of a, he got. He got it, had some depths to what he saw. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the things made sense more the more I thought about it. So it, it's one of those movies where, yeah, I guess at first you'll probably see it as one way, but once you sit there and really actually think about it, and it, it it'll grow on you. Uh, the thing about the Coen Brothers, I feel um, when I see their stuff, because I get reminded of when I see their stuff, it's like. I kind of feel a little bit proud that they're actually American, in a sense. I'm not a big, super uber patriot, but the fact that we have these guys that are super creative, um, art art film guys, but not to the point of it's going to like leave an audience high and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I just I just I just dig the fact that these guys are you know from the United States because they're so creative. So good. Um, I'm trying to think of the first one I ever saw because I've never. There's a lot of them I still haven't seen. Like I haven't seen Blood Simple. I haven't seen Raising. I've never seen Raising all of Raising Arizona, which was one of their. I love that one. Yeah, I need to see that one again. Um, uh, That was the first time they ever had John Goodman, which is like a mainstay of their thing. Mm. He wasn't in this one. He must have been busy, um, but but he is in their stuff quite a bit. Um, Big Lebowski, I love. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, I love. I really like uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, and I think that's the thing is like uh, what Marin was pointing out is a lot of people are just dismissing this movie. And I don't think you can truly appreciate a Coen Brothers movie once. Like, mm-hmm. to like. The de- I mean, like like I said, I liked it because I go with stuff that it was from the period I love. It was silly, and I just kind of went with it. And maybe there was stuff that didn't exactly make sense, but I was so having fun along the way, I didn't mind it. But uh, the stuff Marin was saying is like the use of Catholicism and the fact that Josh Brolin's character was this Catholic guy that goes to multiple uh, confessions during the movie and really just trying to do the right thing. Um, 
and uh, that there was actually more depth there too. That that, that was kind of interesting. Uh, and the great thing about that is, if you ever see the Coen brothers interviewed, they're not giving anything away. Everything that they do or have to say is really in their movies. Mm. They are the real, the quietest, like most normal sounding guys. You're not going to get any like amazing wisdom or prose out of their mouths. They just kind of like, yeah, we we liked it. Yeah, mm. you know, it's they're very very. And I've heard the actors say the same thing on set. You're not. You know, there's not a whole lot of like, they're not really public speakers. They're directors, and that's what they do. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, if we did talk about this before, you might not be even hearing this on the thing. I'll go through and edit it out. But uh, speaking of older Hollywood, uh, Chris and I went and saw a Fathom event of the Maltese Falcon. Chris, had you ever seen this movie before? No, I had not seen it. And his favorite movie is Casablanca, mm-hmm. so he's definitely like uh, down with the Bogart. Um, mm-hmm. I had seen it before, and I actually always preferred it to uh, Casablanca, but I'm still reserving judgment and going to be seeing Casablanca again. I'll, he's going to make me watch it. Um, uh, I, I've forgotten how funny this one was, and I've forgotten how I always kind of saw a film noir as a guy getting in over his head. Probably more like a Chinatown Mm -hmm. is probably a better example of that, where it's like there's a simple case, straightforward case that comes in to this detective's office, and then it just becomes big. Big Lebowski Mm -hmm. is actually kind of more of that kind of noir, um, where you get kind of overwhelmed, uh, but you, you know. Uh, But this one, it was like... (laughs) Sam Spade, a.k.a. Bogart, was in control every scene he was in. Like, he mm-hmm. he knew how to play everybody, and he wasn't taking anything from anybody. Yeah. Um, and so. it was interesting, too, because there was a lot of things, especially, like, a lot of these older movies like this, you notice where a lot of things that are now cliches have come from, you know, when, like, when this movie was made, a lot of these things, like, never were done before. But at the same time this movie was still very original, very entertaining, funny, and the twists still got me. I still was like, you know, whoa, like, what's happening here now? Like, oh, he's playing that person and this person, and like, all these things, and it still was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was one of those things where you don't know who, who's with who, who's going, you know, who's Mm -hmm manipulating who uh, it's really a lot like that so um but he's so street smart he just like dodges everything you know he yeah. never gets pinned down the cops the bad guys the other bad guys oh yeah the cops just try to like totally <laughs> like strong arm him and he's like no you know uh, if you've seen uh it's a wonderful life one of the cops was played a cop in that as well yeah. um one of uh george's George Bailey's buddies, one of the little guys, they sing that they sing that little song for them that they're honeymoon at that old beaten down house. Oh. Yeah, there's the cabbie and the cop, and they sing like "I Love You Truly" or something like that uh. to him. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Peter Laurie's great in this one. Oh, okay. um, the the way they like introduce stuff, like so much nowadays in movies is like, oh, we have to spell out every detail or show everything. And, like, 
the way they introduce Peter Lorre's character is he gets a business card. His secretary gives Bogart a business card. He smells it and he goes, what is that? And she goes, it's gardenia. And then he says, send him in. That's all you get. And then Peter Lorre comes in. And all you need to know is that, like, you're going to see his character and you're going to go like, oh, I get it. They can't say too much because this is 30s Hollywood, but his character is set up within, like, a minute or, like, 30 seconds. You get who his character is, and it's so great. Uh, Sidney Greenstreet is the name of what they, he's always referred to as the fat man. Uh, He was a theater actor, and this was his first movie. This was also John Huston's first movie, um, directing, and uh, uh, I think he'd written the script. I think what they said is a TCM Fathom event, so they talked about it. I believe he wrote uh, wrote the script, and then um, through a set of circumstances, actually got to direct it as well. Um, John Huston's got a lot of really fun, good movies. Um, over there, he's checked out his stuff. He's a uh, his daughter is Angelica. Her son is uh, Jack Houston, who's also been in Boardwalk Empire. So we're talking about a dynasty, like you know, Drew Barrymore is part of a dynasty as well. Um, but uh, just a lot of fun, just a really good. Uh, it clips along, man. I think a lot of people see black and white on their TV and they think, oh, this movie's going to be boring. There's mm-hmm. nothing boring about this movie. It moves. It's quick. It's this. The great thing about that era is the dialogue, too. It's so snappy mm-hmm. and colorful oh, yeah. that it's like... Yeah, if you thought Juno had colorful dialogue, give me a break. This Go back to this day and age where most movies had this good of dialogue. Um, it's great stuff. Um, I have been uh, DVRing the 31 Days of Oscar on TCM, speaking of Turner Classic Movies. And one of the... Uh, the things I DVR'd recently is it's called The Sunshine Boys. It's a Neil Simon play. Now, you were involved in the production of it, right? Uh, well, no, uh, not entirely. Like, a small theater at a place where I used to live, they did the show. And I auditioned for The Sun, but it's one of my favorite, uh, Neil Simon plays. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you, if you're not familiar with Neil Simon, um, he was, uh, he had, he held sway for a long time. Neil Simon, I don't know if you know, but he got a start on uh, the Sid Caesar show as a writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the Cavalcade, something Cavalcade. I don't know. It had it had one of those big names back when TV shows were uh, were actually um, sponsored by one particular company. And uh, I mean the other the other writers on that show were Mel Brooks and like mm-hmm. like all of these seminal like comedy guys started out in that room. But uh, it, this particular one is a kind of a cool thing if you want the history of comedy. It's not about, it's not a documentary, but it's about these two old uh, guys, a comedy team from vaudeville days, um, played in the movie by Walter Matthau and George Burns, which George Burns you don't get much in movies other than like the Oh God movies that I grew up with, with yeah. as a kid. Um, so it's kind of cool to see him... It play around with Walter Matha where you just he's not he's more of a comedian than an actor so he didn't get a lot of chances to to act um he was good on like his show where it was more of a sitcom with his wife Gracie um if you ever hear say the goodnight Gracie that's where it came from but it's kind of cool fun to see these two old guys old timers 
just and Walter Matthau is obviously younger than him, and uh, they they aged him to be about the same age. But uh, to see these two guys play off each other, there's one scene where they're like setting up for a sketch to rehearse, setting up to rehearse for a sketch in Matthau's character's apartment, and they literally for five minutes are changing everything. Uh, one guy puts a lamp here, the other guy comes around and puts the lamp back, and like, it's this crazy yeah. thing. Like they, they just keep on going. So it's a lot of fun. It's about them trying to, uh, uh, like, uh, Marmatho's character's nephew is trying to get them to be mm-hmm. on a history of comedy show uh, on TV. And uh, he, they they had a falling out, so it's about them trying to come back together and do this. A lot of fun, especially if you're a diehard comedy fan and you love history of comedy and uh it's definitely good to see if you can track it down it's called the sunshine boys yeah definitely classic yeah now um we haven't talked about this on this show it happened a while ago but i've kind of recently fallen down the hole of robin williams tributes on youtube uh he meant a lot to me i'm not claiming that he he meant more to me than anybody else did but there's a there's a kinship with with me and him in that sometimes the concept of he used a lot of puns and there's just like I feel like I have a similar sense of humor to him at times um and the you know the heart that comes through in movies like Dead Poet Society I mean at one point Dead Poet Society made me want to be a teacher uh uh you know the Goodwill Hunting all that kind of stuff so I just thought if we could talk about Robin Williams, we're going to talk about Robin Williams movies and then uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman movies. Just talk about our favorite movies from from those actors. Uh, I would say, movies wise, Dead Poets is is huge for me. Uh, I can still watch that. If you haven't seen the uh, the uh, Jimmy Fallon tribute, go on YouTube and. See, check out the Jimmy Fallon tribute. I won't spoil anything that happens, but um, that was a great uh, tribute. Uh, that movie, like, was just... Well, again, Peter Weir talked about that director. He, Peter Weir did this movie, and that's... What Peter Weir's good at is letting you just kind of inhabit the world that you're in without belaboring you. Like, you don't have a tour guide going, well, this is this thing, and this is this thing. Just visually, you know this school almost inside and out. He did the same thing with Master Commander. You just see, like, all parts of the ship. You, you'll, it's the, all these little bitty scenes in between the dialogue scenes where you just get that, kind of surrounded by that world. Um, what do you, do you have a favorite that you can think of offhand? Uh, for Robin Williams, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I grew up with him mostly as like the genie from Aladdin, yeah, of course, and stuff. But as I got older, um, he got more into serious stuff. Yeah, and well, he's a Juilliard trained actor. That's what a lot of people don't know. Yeah, he went yeah. to Juilliard with uh, Christopher Reeve. Um. Insomnia, I thought, was such a oh, really man. cool movie. That movie was, was intense. Good at, in that one. And that's a Christopher Nolan, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah Christopher yeah, Nolan that did the Batman uh, trilogy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, but then I love his classic comedy stuff. Uh, even later, his uh, comedy stand-ups, I just, his comedy is, 
it was such a mix of things. He would go from like the super silly stuff of like just daily life to his to- talks about politics and things like that were, you know, just really great and funny and on point and. And he never, but it never yeah. was like I saw one of the the tributes. Never was malicious. No, never no, no. went super negative. Never. He played with things and would say things like I remember an old joke about like when we were selling arms to like Iran or something like mm-hmm. that back in the eighties and he's like when you see when you see the uh the uh the guys in the Middle East driving boats and they're like say seers on the side, you know, you got mm-hmm. problems. So it was like he would say those but he would say them in such a way that it wasn't like you know yeah, it was just I don't know. Feel like it was like because most of the time there's that situation in any conversation you have with people where it's like you can't talk about politics and you can't talk about religion because it's just it can be an awkward situation and it was never like that. Whenever he talked about those kind of things, it was funny and no matter where you leaned politically and stuff, it still was entertaining and great. And he was always able to do that with. just a lot of heart and everything in it. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire. I probably say that's probably my favorite thing he ever did was Mrs. Doubtfire. I grew up with that a lot. That was. I'm sure that meant a lot like to you because third or fourth grade. Fourth, well, you kind of went through that too. When that came out with huh? the. I mean, on a personal note, you kind of. I'm sure that meant, movie meant quite a bit to you. Yeah, yeah, with divorced parents. Um, yeah, it's it. it did a very interesting... I mean, I my parents divorced when I was very, very young, so I never had to go through the whole breakup stuff um, in that kind of way. But, yeah, the whole having a parent that just wants to be there and can't, that's... Yeah, for that, that he took that subject and made it funny. And, again, like, something that could be an awkward situation made it very touching and human and funny. My favorite line from that movie is, I am job. But yeah, so I would say for my movies, definitely Dead Poets, definitely uh, um, Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, he said when he went to the set and met Matt and Ben, he was like, who are these kids? Like he's like, where's the adults that I'm supposed to be talking yeah. to? Um, and uh, um, I, Good Morning Vietnam. When I was in high mm. school, Good Morning Vietnam was. I actually bought the soundtrack, and the great thing about mm. that soundtrack is they actually had his comedy breaks in between yeah. songs. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, yeah, he. If you really want to get a good taste of his comedy, there's tons of stuff people. I think on almost it feels like a daily basis putting stuff up online, but if you really want to get a good, long, solid chunk of his comedy, go to his actor studio because that's a two-hour-long actor studio. Just because, uh, for obvious reasons, he just goes off. I mean, you can't control what he does. Um, so that would be uh, a good place to start if you just want that stuff. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I've told people along for a long time. My two eight favorite actors of this generation were Paul Giamatti and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, it's hard for me to even really like describe what I like about him, but he's just he's just real when he in what he does. He doesn't really 
You know, uh, Jimmy Stewart said a one a great quote um, when somebody asked him for acting advice. He says, "Don't let him see you acting." Mm. And I think Philip Seymour Hoffman was really great at this. Um, you know, there's a there's a nexus of these two actors, and it's Patch Adams. Uh, Pat he played Patch Adams' really stuffy roommate, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the great thing about that role is that role could have been like Thurston Howell. You know, he could have been just just stuffy New England guy, but the way he pl- the way he played him, and that like there's that one scene where he really has it out with Robin Williams' character. And it tells him how this stuff doesn't come easy. He has to work at it. And the fact that Patch keeps interrupting. Um, you know, that 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 it really uh, is hurting him in a way. And the fact that he, he elevated that so well. Um... I, I I just he's he he's gonna be missed. He's a that's a big gaping hole in uh, this generation of acting. Um, probably if I thought off the top of my head, my favorite one of his is probably almost famous. He plays this character Lester Bangs, a real life uh, guy uh, who wrote Cream magazine, a rock and roll magazine. Um, he was uh, based in San Diego and. Uh, He's just so great. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard that character. He's part of the intro where he says we're not cool. Um, that's part of the intro to the show because of who said who's saying it and because of what it's saying. Um, gosh, I, love, I I just love him so much. Uh, you want to see a great small per- performance of his? Just watch Moneyball. The scene where he just walks into Brad Pitt's character and is like, what are you doing to me? It's like, what are you doing to me? And I, I, it just sounds like a guy that just walked in, but he's like got this weight and power to him as well. Um, uh, I'll have to think about other one, other performances off the top of my head, but what can you think of some of his that you... Um, I don't know. I... I definitely can appreciate him as an actor. I, I, I don't know if he's one of my personal favorites, but I definitely, um, I definitely can say like he's done some really great stuff. Uh, he was great in um, Lebowski. That character he played the assistant to the yeah yeah, <laughs> um, and that was the thing. He did so many of these like little roles. At the beginning of his career, mm-hmm. but he always stood out, no matter what it was. You always like kind of remembered him in some way. Twister from that character, Twister. Twister, the guy who's like the extreme, you know, like, yeah, the, like um, he he was always able to take that role and just elevate it in such a way that you, you were going to remember him. And then when he did start getting those bigger roles, um, in his leads, uh, especially Capote. Oh yeah. Um, really great in that um it just you know you, you could definitely tell that at this point he still was getting up to i mean he's he was always good but he was still on his way to becoming something really truly great um you know along the lines of like hanks or jimmy stewart you know and um, unfortunately that ended very very short for him but yeah i mean Everything was still building up to that, I feel like. And yeah. My best example, I just now remembered, what I used to tell people, one of, the, one of my examples of why he was amazing, is he was filming two movies at once. 
Um, one where he had more of a lead role, and one where he had a supporting role. <laughs> the lead role was in this movie called Flawless with Robert De Niro, where he played a drag queen. And the other movie was The Talented Mr. Ripley, where he played mm. a womanizer. Yeah. So at mm. the same time, he was flying from New York to Italy, back and forth, to do this role. Now, if you can't find uh, that's a pretty good disparate. I could think of maybe Nazi and Jew would be another similar <laughs> type spread that he could play. But mm. if you see Flawless and see the humanity, you know, that he brought to that role... Um, it's a great movie. I'll talk about it real quick. Uh, De Niro uh, is a cop who gets shot and loses the um, has nerve damage in his face, so he has trouble. Oh uh, no, he has a stroke, so he has trouble speaking. So um, Philip Seymour's character uh, helps him through speech therapy, uh, and so that's that's what it's about. It's a great movie called Flawless. Check it out. Um, I, is that pretty much you? I think you were pretty much yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to talk a little bit again about something I don't talk a lot about, but comics. Uh, I'm calling this a, an amazing time in comics because the artists especially are killing it. And there's a lot of good uh, writers as well. Um, the kids that are growing up right now are, are lucky because there's so much. There's there's good superhero comics, but there's also really good indie comic scene. Uh, Walking Dead is technically an indie comic, even though uh, Image is kind of moving them, their Image Comics is moving up. Um, so, the one that this was a long awaited, actually, I didn't even know that they were going to do this at first, uh, is uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Uh, came out in 85 or 86. Considered the pillar of, one of the pillars of. The pinnacles of comics uh it's great uh great book he has done uh a second volume called dark knight strikes again and now he's doing dark knight three the master race um it, the interesting thing about this one is the other two he actually did the art for or at least the what they call it. If, if you don't know how a comic book works is basically there's the writing of course and then there's Pencils, inks, colors, and even lettering. That's how many people generally, on a base level, it takes to make a comic. Well, he would do the pencils uh, for the previous two volumes. This one, he did not do the pencils, but the, the artists that are doing it are younger artists that really take a lot of inspiration from the other two volumes. And uh, so it's really interesting stuff. Uh, I... I can't. I think this one is actually better than the second volume. The second volume turned up, turned some people off, but this one's really interesting. If one understands, it's going to be like an eight volume mini. Um, the cool thing about the I've been reading the, the digitally, but if you get the um, the physical books, they actually have these little mini comics inside of it that are kind of other characters in the. Uh, in the Dark Knight universe, which is kind of cool. So there's a there's an Adam book, the Adam that we were talking about earlier. There's a Wonder Woman book, and in this one, there's a Green Lantern book. Uh, the Green Lantern art I wasn't loving so much in this one, but the other two books are really cool. So if you're into Batman at all and you like to 
check out these. They're they're definitely good. I I you might want to wait at this point till they actually collect all eight, but um, it looks like they're coming out monthly, so that shouldn't be too long till that happens. Now, the writer Mark Millar uh, or Miller, I think I think they pronounce it Miller. Uh, he did uh, wa- uh, Wanted and mm-hmm. Kick-Ass. Um, and uh, there's a book that I just recently discovered. I heard uh, uh, on my other podcast I listened to, uh, iFanboy, they were talking about this book called Huck that he does. It's really kind of an interesting book in this day and age because it's a really wholesome hero book. It's like Imagine if Forrest Gump had superpowers. It's almost to that level. He's not that mentally challenged, but he's pure in that sense. And so what he does is he literally, like, people go, oh, I lost my dog. Oh, um, my mom's sick. Or, oh, all of they, they, and these are just people in his neighborhood have these issues. And um, so he makes a list. Like a, like a to-do list. And he... Saw all these things like a a girl's uh, brother was missing in Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East, so he goes and tracks him down. And it's just it's a really cute thing, like a really simplistic way of looking at a superhero. It's like it's kind of like Superman if he was still in Smallville in a sense, and you know never went to Metropolis, but but it's also it's got uh, echoes of like Mister Smith goes to Washington or Mister Deeds. In that people are now wanting to start taking advantage of his powers and stuff mm-hmm. as it goes along. So um, that's a really cool book to check out. It's called Huck by Mark Miller. Um, Rick Remender is, uh, he's done quite a bit in, uh, I know, Marvel's uh, uh, books. And um, he also wrote a video game called Bulletstorm. Um, he wrote this book called Deadly Class. And it's this really, really beautiful book um, set in the 80s. And it's about this kid that's really, like, pretty much homeless. And he gets discovered and taken away to this school. Imagine Hogwarts for assassins. (laughs) That's kind of what the school is like. And so, uh, like, I remember the first, I think it's the first... Um, book is actually called Reagan Youth, so it has a very edgy kind of 80s vibe to it. Uh, really, really cool, and it's called Deadly Class. Um, so that, I believe, has been cap- uh, collected into at least a trade at this point, so it should be able to you could go and get the trade paper back of that one. Uh, one more thing before we get into the big event of this weekend. Um, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, and I discovered one fairly recently that I've been going all the way through the archives of. It's called Here's the Thing. It's a podcast of an actual radio show that, of all people, Alec Baldwin does. And he uh, just interviews all the people he's interested in. And uh, it's really good. He's got everybody from... Uh, like Sarah Jessica Parker to Julie Andrews, Carol Burnett, uh, just uh, William Freakin, the director of uh, the uh, French Connection. So just like a 
a lot of really good act, uh, interviews, and he's really good. Imagine his voice. The 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 killer one is when he interviewed Kathleen Turner, and that was like the sultriest podcast I think I've ever heard with those two voices. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, so yeah, I think we're gonna end it here, and we're gonna talk about the best picture showcase maybe after the Oscars because we are at like one hour. Oh, what do you think? Uh, uh, yeah, we can do that. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. We're going to wrap this up. Stay tuned, because we'll come back later with the whole Oscar experience. So, for, until then, bye. See you.